BP added more than $70 billion to the U.S. economy in 2022 by making investments from coast to coast. Investments like building charging hubs for fleets of electric buses in California and starting up new infrastructure in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. How did you... and running <laughs> dude you cracked me up <laughs> oh my god this dude is he's a throwback ladies and gentlemen this is like 1970s radio i don't know how it found its way to a millennial but <laughs> i got mail i gotta check oh that. my god that's hilarious you got oh man folks he comes up with this stuff i don't I, it's Trust me when I tell you, there's no pre-show play. <laughs> What's going oh, on, everybody? Lord. We're live. Your Ben Jarofsky show for <laughs> Friday, March 12th is just moments away. Live stream chat. What's happening? Frank, oh my God, what's going on? You do have a song of the day from Frank. Hey, Frank, I don't know, man. Watch the language a little bit on the live stream chat, would you? F-bombs and S-bombs everywhere. Uh, your Ben Jarofsky <laughs> show. I applaud. Frank, if you want to let your freak flag fly, you let it fly, all right? By the way, do I have to tell you this? Can we just take a moment to tell you this? Sure. I was uh, doing a little pre-show planning with Romana, and she told me she didn't know she was allowed to swear in the show. Really? Which, what you yeah. <laughs> I can tell she listens to a lot of our program. <laughs> I, has she ever said any? I can't remember any uh, f, f bombs. Well, or, she called me an f or that one. I'm just kidding. No, she hasn't. Uh, she hasn't. Yeah. Anyway, you're free to swear if you want on the Ben Jarowski show. But Dennis and I have made a a vow. We are not going to swear, right, D? Yeah, every now and again we will. We just won't swear so much. How about that? Like we're we're no Franks. My goodness, Frank, clean it up. All right. How about Adolfo? Yesterday's show. Yeah. Wow. Yesterday's so program, clean. if you missed it, we had a reoccurring guest, Adolfo Mondragon, on the program. Uh, a, re- a reoccurring guest who swears every single time he's on. Not one swear word yesterday. Yeah. He cleaned it up. He was being very distinguished. He was being All very right. lawyerly because he was talking about his lawsuit. So I think that's what was it. Ah, okay. I see. I see. But your Ben Jaromsky show is just moments away. Before we do this, let's thank our sponsors. Sponsors like SEIU Healthcare, Illinois, Indiana, the Chicago Federation of Labor, our sponsors, as well as the Chicago Reader, chicagoreader.com for all things there is to know the city of Chicago, what to do, where to go, what to wear, what to drive, who to talk to, what politics to think. Oh my God, so much. chicagoreader.com. Subscribe. Also, become a binhead. That's what we call avid listeners of this program now, binheads. Uh, you can go to chicagoreader.com slash Jarofsky, J-O-R-A-V as in victory, S-K-Y, to find out more information. A three-tiered system we have at ChicagoReader.com. Uh, ways that you can help out the Ben Jarofsky show. Uh, if you don't have money, you don't have enough to uh, you know help out, don't worry about it. Just keep listening to the program. But if you do, 
chicagoreader.com forward slash Jarofsky. And you can get a deal on Ben's book if you become a Ben-head. We're going to talk more about Ben's book later on, but we have a song of the day for you, Ben. Your song of the day, yes, it comes from Frank. It's an Elton John song, Saturday Night is All Right by Elton John. I believe the year was 1973. And that's when this song was a hit. Uh, And here we go. Saturday, Saturday, it's not all right. Yeah, for fighting. Okay, all right, cool. (laughs) And then he plays the piano. All right, we're done. The Ben Jarofsky Show starts now. It is Friday, March 12th, and live from my mom's apartment and his attic, this is The Ben Jarofsky Show. Today on the program, it's another Ramana Rundown with Chicago Sun-Times editor, Ramana Hussein. And now your host... Chicago Raider columnist Ben Jarofsky. Hello, everybody. Ben Jarofsky here. We're calling this Divided States Friday. And here's why. Watched President Biden's speech last night. Got to give the man credit. And I say this as a Bernie guy. He was not my first choice in the Democratic Party. He was not my second, third, fourth, or fifth either, for that matter. But I got to give him credit for really trying. Just had Congress pass a $1.9 trillion relief bill, sending out checks for $1,400 to folks all over the country, unemployment assistance for $300 to people all over the country, money for schools and cities and states, red and blue. Next up is the infrastructure bill. Going to put people to work, going to rebuild roads and bridges, the kind of stuff that my centrist Democratic friends tells me America wants. I see you, PC, Pete Cunningham. We're going to bring you back to the show to talk about this. Yes, this is what America wants. And if you give them what they want, they're going to unite behind them. At least that's the theory I've always been told. And yet, it doesn't seem to be working for Joe Biden. No matter how much he reaches out to the rest of the country, MAGA America slaps him in the face. <laughs> Not one Republican voted for the relief bill. State rep. <laughs> Sorry, Dennis made a face or something. Made me laugh. Sorry. Focus, Ben. Focus. Play the radio. Make sure the television, excuse me, (laughs) make sure you have the record player on at night. The the, the phone. Make sure the kids hear words. That's right, Mr. President. Oh, my God. (laughs) Congressman Kevin McCarthy, the leader of the Republicans in in the House, says Biden doesn't even deserve credit for getting out the vaccines. Says all the credit goes to Donnie Trump. Meanwhile, you got Tucker Carlson. Basically calling Biden a sissy for putting women in the armed forces. Meanwhile, Joe Biden's bending over backwards to be stirring and passionate and caring and reassuring. Treating us all like all of us care deeply about the same thing as though we're united. As though we're in 1942 and the country were united to fight the wars against Germany and Japan. Oh, President Joe, 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 I love you for trying. But the other side... They're fighting you every step of the way. Biden last night said, if all goes well, every American will be eligible for the shot by May. And if all goes well after that, every American will be able to celebrate quietly with their family on the 4th of July, barbecues and picnics, 
to emphasize the point that we're all the same. We all enjoy barbecues and picnics, but it'll be small gatherings, just family. And I'm like, Joe, Joe, I hate to break the news to you, but MAGA had a 4th of July celebration last year in the middle of the pandemic. Trump gave a speech, MAGA swooned. They held it at Mount Rushmore. Nothing small about it. Hundreds and hundreds of people packed together, hardly anyone wearing a mask. Baby Trump was there. He got COVID. So did his fiance. So you're not going to win over MAGA by talking about small gatherings on the 4th of July. Many of them don't believe the virus is real, which means they don't believe they need a shot. And even if they do get one, they're not going to give you credit, which brings me back to Kevin McCarthy. I had a laugh when I saw him say that, Kevin McCarthy. You know, you would think that at this point, I remember Tip O'Neill, the Democratic leader of the House when Ronald Reagan was elected, and he and Reagan fought each other tooth and nail on a lot of issues. But they, like, You'd always have some respect for Reagan. It's like a different era. And I'd be on the other side going, I was I, I won't lie to you. I was like, come on, Tip, you're being too nice to Reagan. But there we have Kevin McCarthy. He won't give he won't give Biden any credit for vaccine rollout. Says Trump deserves all the credit. I, I had a laugh when I heard that. Because he sounded like all the guests I had coming on my show all those years. I remember how many conversations I had with Monroe Anderson. I go, Monroe, you got to admit unemployment's falling under Trump. And Monroe would say, well, it began under Obama. I remember that argument. You really can't give Trump the credit because the unemployment started falling under Obama. So it's really the Obama recovery. So I'm like, hey, Kevin McCarthy, you're sounding like my Democratic friends. You're not even willing to give Biden any credit. All the credit goes to Trump, which is such a joke, since the guy was holding super spreader events up until the day he lost the election. Yes, we are divided states. And I was thinking this as I was driving through Chicago and looking at uh, all the people wearing masks and like trying to figure out how did they get the message? Everyone in Chicago seemed to have gotten the message that uh, we should post, supposed to wearing masks. Somehow or other, it worked in the city of Chicago. It's such a divided city, really. I mean, everybody comes from different cultures, different quarters. And I'm not just talking about political divisions, excuse, uh, or uh, racial divisions. I'm talking about cultural dis- divisions. For instance, the other day, a story broke about Myers Leonard. Myers Leonard, uh, I don't know how many listeners had ever heard of Myers Leonard. If you're not a basketball fan, we try not to go too deep into basketball on the show, although we spent hours talking about it. But Myers Leonard is a center for the Miami Heat. He used to play for the University of Illinois. And he made some anti-Semitic comments while playing a computer game. And millions and millions of people heard him. And it was, became a big ruckus in that little uh, neck of the woods, that little cultural corner of our country. Because there are millions and millions of people who watch other people play computer war games. And folks, I have a confession to make. I did not know that. Oh, my God. Color us surprised. <laughs> I did not know that. Dennis knew it. I didn't know. I go, D, you know that? Like millions and millions of people watch other people play computer war games. And Dennis was like, duh, where have you been? I'm like, God damn, we are so culturally divided. But you know what, D? I have to tell you something. What? A lot of geezers didn't know it either. No, like, Wait no. A I mean, dude, now. you just figured out copy and paste like two weeks ago. So, I mean, <laughs> it's not so Hold on, you're going so fast for me here. You mean to tell me millions and millions of people, they're not playing the games. They're watching other people play that. I go, yeah. 
Yeah, divided country, man. So I got to give you credit, Joe Biden. You're old school. You're dedicated to the notion that it's 50 states undivided. Well, close to half the population can't stand you and doesn't want to give you a chance. We got a great show today, everybody. Ramana Hussein will be here, Chicago Sun-Times editor columnist. She's not divided. She's focused on what she wants to say. And she was aware, D. I had a pre-show discussion that people, millions and millions of people watch other people play computer games. But she's never done it. A distinction. She was only aware of it because her nephews were among the millions and millions of people watching other people play computer games. So plenty of political discussion ahead, plenty of cultural discussion ahead. But before we do that, the young man from Alton, the young man that America is united on calling Dr. D with the news. Play the radio. Make sure the television, the, excuse me, make sure you have the record player on at night. The, the, the phone, make sure the kids hear words. You said that already, Mr. President. <laughs> How's it going? I'm Dennis. Yeah, still here in beautiful downstate Illinois and still here at my mother's apartment. Before we find out what's happening in Chicago and or Illinois this afternoon, for the fourth and final time this week, we need to remind every single one of you listening, no matter if you're listening live or on the download, we need to remind all of you to download this weekend's Benny J bonus interviews available at ChicagoReader.com and wherever you download podcasts. Let's run through this weekend's lineup beginning on Saturday. Ben just talked about that Myers Leonard guy. Well, we're going to be taking a deep dive on that a little more after today's show. And Ben, why don't you tell us who our guests are going to be when we're speaking with us for this Benny J bonus interview available on Saturday. I reached out to uh, two Jewish athletes that I know uh, to talk about anti-Semitism in sports. One is my daughter, Rachel, who was a basketball player and a runner for many, many years. And the other was a uh, uh, when perhaps my best friend's son, Miles Porter. Everybody knows Miles from this show. Uh, he uh, was our editor for, um, oh gosh, about a year, I want to say, when you're at the studio. And uh, so we're going to be talking about uh, anti-Semitism in sports, how common it is. Is Myers Leonard unique? Is that just something that just popped out of nowhere, or is it more commonplace? In addition to that, Miles uh, loves playing video games, so he did. Oh, I want to shatter the fourth wall. He's the one who told me uh, pretty much everything I know about the video game community, uh, the gaming, the gaming community. Oh, you know, you're pretty good. You called it the gaming community. Great work. Gamers and stuff, man. So uh, it's going to be a lot of fun talking to uh, two of them about Myers Leonard, anti-Semitism, the gaming community and uh, all those issues of the day. Ben, what's your favorite video game? I gotta ask you. All this talk about video games, you know, I've never asked you that. What's your favorite video game? Uh, we, I think we had this conversation. Ms. Pac-Man. Oh, okay. Ms. Pac-Man. <laughs> that is a great game. Still, still a great game. It's, uh, I believe, the only video game I've ever played. I went through a period of my life, D, I'm a little embarrassed to say, where I played Ms. Pac-Man a lot. There was a pizza restaurant on Lincoln Avenue in Armitage that had a game in the uh, uh, bar. And Baroni's, I think it was called, long since out of business. I used to play that Friday night with my wife. Well, let's play Ms. Pac-Man. And then I hurt my wrist and I quit. <laughs> Not really in the computer video games, D. Confession to make here. But I'm open-minded about learning about the community that exists and 
the millions and millions of people who follow it. So be talking about that with Miles. He knows a lot about it. Mine's Metal Gear Solid. You know, I'm writing that down. When was the last time you played it? I uh, like high school. Okay. <laughs> All right. I'm going to ask Miles if he's ever heard of it. Oh, of course he has. All right. It's our Saturday interview. Miles Porter, Rachel Jarofsky, available 5 a.m., fingers crossed, Saturday at ChicagoReader.com or wherever you download podcasts. All right. On to Sunday. Sunday. Well, we're just going to throw up one of the, I don't know, 900 uh, episodes we've done on this show. Okay. Uh, ben, any ideas as of what you're going to uh, throw up there for people to download to see? Well, let me first just explain uh, the shatter the fourth wall one more time. There is no fourth wall in this show. Uh, we were going to interview uh, Lorene Targos uh, and Byron Cisha Lopez, uh, Byron, the ultimate of the 25th Ward. Uh, but then uh, we had to cut sh- uh, short that show on Wednesday because uh, Dennis had to get downstate. Uh, so we rebooked that for Tuesday. But that left a vacancy on the weekend. And as Dennis says, Ben, we have 900. Uh, so I'm going to go through, I don't know which one I'm going to take, D. Uh, I'm going to do an exploration. kind of enjoy doing this anyway. Go back and look and see, listen in on the uh, bits and pieces of different interviews down there. I may pull off, I don't know. I, I read an Eric Zorn column today that I vehemently disagreed with, but, you know, I may throw one of my Eric Zorn interviews up there just to oh. give Eric a shout out. Uh, it's been a while since we've had Eric on the show. I should bring him on to have a debate with him about the uh, elected school board. We're on opposite sides of that. Uh, so, you know, I may, I'm going to surprise you guys, and I'm going to shatter the fourth wall again. <sighs> Dennis taught me, yeah, a millennial taught an old guy how to uh, repost video. I'm going nuts with this. I love doing this now. My call, he taught me how to do it. I'm like, yeah, man, I'm going to take this blast from the past and put I'm having a lot of fun since you taught me that, D. Thank you. So uh, don't know what I'm going to do yet. It'll be a surprise. Oh, who will it be? Our Sunday interview. Oh, my God. It's a mystery. Holy crap. Finally on Monday. It's the return of the man from WBEZ, one Dan Mealopoulos. Ben, what did you talk with Dan about? We had an excellent conversation yesterday, uh, Damiolopoulos. A lot of you probably just think of him as exposing corruption uh, and in, uh, incompetence on the part of uh, Chicago Democrats. But uh, he also takes a deep dive on Republicans from all over the state of Illinois. So we talk about the Millers. Uh, that would be State Representative Chris Miller, a right-wing state rep from uh, Central Illinois. Remember Dan corrected me on that day? So I said downstate. He goes, Ben. Just because it's south of Chicago does not mean it's downstate. It was central Illinois. Uh, and uh, Mary Miller, who is the congresswoman uh, from a district that goes all the way to the end, <laughs> the, the southern tip of Illinois, uh, who's the one whose famous quote is, Hitler was right. So we talk about them. And then we take the deep dive on corruption in Chicago. Michael Joseph Madigan, the Acevedos. Uh, it's a delightful little uh, romp through the corruption of Chicago and throughout the state of Illinois. So a lot of political talk with Dan Mialopoulos. All right. It's this weekend's Benny J bonus interviews. Saturday, Miles Porter and Rachel Jarofsky. Sunday, a mystery. And Monday, Dan Mialopoulos. It's going to be available Saturday, Sunday, and Monday morning. ChicagoReader.com and wherever else you download podcasts, download them. 
And while you're there, subscribe. And since you subscribed, give us a review. And if you give us a review, remember, five stars only. Okay, here we go. Local news. We begin in Illinois. And we begin with Illinois Governor J.B. Pritzker. Let's begin with phase one. Today, the governor was at Loretto Hospital in Chicago at 1130 a.m. for an announcement on health care equity in Illinois. What's the announcement? I don't know. In other statewide news, Democratic <laughs> Illinois Senator, what? What's so funny? At least we're honest. Yeah, I haven't got the update yeah. yet. It was at 1130. I was preparing the news. I was hitting refresh. I couldn't find it. I'll look for it when you start talking again. Uh, other statewide news, Democratic Illinois Senator Tammy Duckworth. She can add another title to her name. Foulmouth Sailor. The following comes from the Chicago Sun-Times and Lynn Sweet. After Fox News host Tucker Carlson, Ben's favorite, disparaged <laughs> women serving in the military. Senator Tammy Duckworth, Democrat in Illinois, a wounded Iraq war vet, said in a tweet, Fuck Tucker Carlson. Yeah, she's... She said that other top military officials also slammed Carlson, who in a Tuesday segment featured a uh, profile picture of a pregnant woman in a flight suit as he mocked military women. Duckworth went on to say, uh, quote, while he was practicing his two step, referring to Tucker Carlson's appearance on Dancing with the Stars, America's female warriors were hunting down Al Qaeda and providing the strength of America's women. Happy belated International Women's Day to everyone but Tucker who even I can dance better than. And if you've seen Senator Duckworth, you know why that's funny. She then posted a video of Tucker Carlson on Dancing with the Stars, and Duckworth posted, and we all know it was his female partner who did all the work. Ben, your thoughts? Many, 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 many thoughts uh, on, on this subject. Uh, first of all, let me deal with the most frivolous one. Uh, minor obsession I have with uh, the F-bomb. Uh, she did not technically say, uh, I won't say it, D, because you know what? I Didn't I just get finished saying I'm not going to swear on the show anymore? Mm -hmm. So it, the word rhymes with truck, but it begins with an F and it has no R. Okay? I'm not going to say what it is because I'm not swearing anymore in the show. But she did not say that. She actually wrote F asterisk asterisk K. Now, Dave, when I saw that, I was like, what could that be? And I was really confused. I was trying to, like, put in different letters to see what it spelled out. And I called Dennis, and he explained to me what it was. Like, oh, thanks, Dennis. I smile as I say that because there are still people who just cannot, and I give him credit for this, say it or write it. In fact, my beloved Bright One, I don't believe the Bright One will. Um, Bright One didn't even have a story. Very disappointed about the Bright One. They did not have a story on that uh, today's paper. But I guarantee you if they had, it would have been F, asterisk, asterisk, K. So just minor clarification. Um, Tucker Carlson, I, I just got a smile. It's really curious, this attitude that MAGA has about women and uh, toughness and weaponry. I was thinking about this because two of the most prominent leaders of MAGA America now are women. Marjorie Taylor Greene, the uh, Congresswoman from uh, Georgia and Lauren Bobbitt, who's the um, Congresswoman from Colorado. And both of them are gun toters. And they're very proud of the fact that they know how to shoot a gun know how to load a gun. They have all, they know all the different kinds of weaponry. Don't mess with them. They have video clips. 
that showed you do not mess with me. I'm tough. I got my gun and I'm ready to use it. And MAGA, yeah, yeah. I remember the, Sarah Palin was the one who started this. Remember Sarah Palin was really proud of the fact that she could like shoot. Was it bears that she was shooting? Remember, remember Chris Rock went on. Uh, <laughs> so funny. It was on the David Letterman show. And he was like, he's like, it was in 2008. He was like, he did this whole bit about Sarah Palin with the gun shooting the bears. He goes, why is Michael Vick in prison? I, I was, I thought it was kind of funny, D. I mean, you know, I mean, Michael Big Vick didn't kill the dogs. Was the point. Anyway, so they have this notion, this vision, this, this adulation for really tough women with guns who will shoot you if you cross them and will stand up tall for anything they believe in. And you better not mess with them. And yeah, when it comes to putting women in the army or the military, somehow they're suddenly soft. Like women are only tough when it's just some random MAGA supporter in Colorado or Georgia. I'll get it. It's, it's like tough enough to shoot absolutely anybody that crosses them, if it's a MAGA supporter, they're tough enough to uh, NRA. You know, they're badasses. They'll load their guns and show everybody how full they are with weaponry. And yet you put them in the military, suddenly they're not tough. It's kind of this weird MAGA thing, D, that I don't quite understand. They're either tough enough to fight and kill you, or they're not tough. So suddenly if you have women in the Army... China's excited. Oh, yeah. We're, that, that was the point of Tucker Carlson. Like, the Chinese army is masculine and tough and going to defeat us. But they come to this country and they have to deal with Marjorie Taylor Greene and her weaponry, Tucker. Are they going to be able to handle her? So I guess it's a, a, a weird distinction that MAGA has. If you, as long as the woman is not in a, in a uniform, she's tough and you don't want to mess with her. Put her in the uniform. That's it. It's over. China has won. That's, that was kind of my thought on Very bizarre distinction uh, that Tucker Carlson has between women who are just ordinary citizens and have guns and women who uh, carry guns in the army. So you don't want to jump on a Zoom later tonight to watch Tucker's show. <laughs> You're lost, buddy. You're lost. <laughs> the Tuckster. Now, I'll have to miss the Tuckster again. You're we'll be lost. talking about it with Romano Hussein. She's got a lot to say about Tucker Carlson. All right. Well, maybe she'll join us. I don't know. Uh, and before we move on from the statewide news, what would a Friday on the Ben Jarofsky show be without him? From the Illinois State Water Survey at the University of Illinois Prairie Research Institute, this is Illinois State Climatologist Trent Ford. Well, honestly, if you ask me, I'd say a <laughs> lot less boring. It's time for Ben's favorite segment, a segment he must have on this program every Friday, no matter how many off-mic arguments we have about it. It's time for our weekly Illinois weather report with state <laughs> climatologist... Trent Ford. March continues to be a contrast to last month. Average temperatures this week range from the mid-40s in northern Illinois to the mid-50s in southern Illinois, between 5 and 15 degrees above average for this hey, time Mom, of the year. March to date, temperatures have been between <laughs> 2 and 10 degrees above average, oh, yeah, with the largest that. departures in that. western Illinois. 
This has been the fifth warmest start to March on record in Hancock County, for example, and the warmest since 1974. Several places saw high temperatures in the 70s this week, including 74 in Quincy and 73 in Peoria. This is about two weeks ahead of the climatological average first 70-degree day in Peoria. My God, that's boring. I just had to stop it right there. I'm so sorry. <laughs> Wait, hold on. What? Smart. Uh-oh. You did not tell me that. What? You, you, you went out there. March, you, 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 cut out, you cut out there a little bit. What did you say? I said it's the fifth warmest March in the history of Hancock County, and you did not tell me that. A little disappointed, you did. Little disappointed. Okay, I had to learn that from Trent Ford. You're supposed to be my man with his finger in the pulse of what's going on in Illinois. I mean, I try my hardest to listen to the guy, but I just get distracted <laughs> and I can't pay attention. Oh, that guy's boring. By the way, I just have to tell you this. I saw a picture of him. I think Frank sent me a picture of him. Good looking guy. Oh, really? We should bring him on the <laughs> We should bring him on the show. Talk oh, a little uh, There we go. There you know, we go. News. We don't we don't do enough weather co- coverage on the show. They just say. <laughs> All right, let's move on to the news in the city of Chicago. No public events scheduled for our Chicago mayor Lori Lightfoot. How did you go from sharing stories over the years to deciding to write a book? Good question, mayor. Good question. Well, still not a good question. But it looks like her fellow city council members have been making the local headlines. Yes, right before the weekend, it is time for everyone's favorite daily Chicago political soap opera. It's episode 396 of A Mayor and Her Alderman. A Mayor and Her Alderman. You have to be a good neighbor. You have to be a good neighbor. Otherwise, I'm going to be up your butt every day. following comes from the block club chicago and justin lawrence three aldermen and women are pushing a proposal to launch a universal basic income pilot program sending monthly no strings attached checks to a small group of city residents alderman gilbert viegas been of what ward 36 what a nerd alderwoman maria <laughs> hadn't been of what ward 49th. And Alderwoman Sophia King been of what ward? Fourth. Oh, they were all... <laughs> these three aldermen and women would take funding from federal grant money and private partnerships, among other sources, to support the direct payments for residents and families. Viegas said dollar amounts of the number of people who would receive the money hasn't been decided. There's a lot of stuff going on outside of my mom's apartment. Listen to this. the hell's going on out there? What's going to sound like a rock concert. Oh, yeah, I wish, pal. Viegas said dollar amounts of the number of people who would receive the money hasn't been decided. He suggested a $500 a month to $5,000 Chicago families for one year, totaling $30 million. At a Thursday hearing on the issue, Viegas said he wants Mayor Lightfoot to allocate a portion of the $1.9 billion in federal stimulus funds for Chicago for the program to, quote, go towards working people, the people that are struggling on a daily basis. The stimulus is expected to be signed by President Joe Biden this week. We have quotes from Viegas. He said, quote, we have to get money, cash into people's hands so that we can keep our economy going. The new round of federal stimulus fund would allow the city to be hold, he at or to be bold, he added. He continued saying it allows us an opportunity to discuss a pilot, and then if we want to expand it and make it permanent and demonstrate to the corporations or the philanthropic folks in the city that we've got skin in the game. I think that would allow for the program to become 
permanent? Well, a lot of thoughts on this. One interesting coalition of uh, aldermen, I'll point this out, uh, that Dennis just rattled off. Uh, Maria Haddon of the 49th Ward, Sophia King of the 4th, and Gilbert Vallegas of the 36th. Uh, they're all ideologically, they come from different parts of Chicago. Uh, Maria Haddon, the Democratic Socialist, defeated Joe Moore in the last election, so she represents the left. Sophia King is uh, very, is, I think she's the chair of the Progressive Caucus in the Chicago City Council from the 4th Ward, uh, just uh, around Hyde Park, just north of Hyde Park, Kenwood area. So she sort of represents what used to be called the liberals, uh, in the city of Chicago. And Gilbert Vallegas, this is the one who struck me as odd, D. I always thought of him sort of a conservative Democrat. Uh, he was Mayor Lori Lightfoot's floor leader for a while. He was with, uh, uh, he was a supporter of Mayor Rahm when, um, the, right before Lori Lightfoot was elected mayor. So I, I was a little caught off guard that he would uh, add his voice to this course. And uh, I, I appreciated that. Uh, that was an interesting development. Maybe uh, he's like the, the rhetoric of the Jeanette Taylors and the Carlos Ramirez Rosas and uh, uh, Byrosisha Lopez, the other uh, lefty aldermen are wearing off on him. I'd like to point out this is not that controversial a program for the Democratic Party. Andrew Yang was uh, supporting uh, a version of this on a national level in the, the uh, campaign season of two, 2019, leading up uh, to last year's election. And he was very popular for it. I think he ended up, D, I think he lasted almost uh, through Super Tuesday. Uh, this was his program. This was the signature program. And it seemed to uh, really strike a, like a, a lot of support among millennials, as I recall. I remember uh, walking through uh, Lincoln uh, Square about a late 2019, and there were Andrew Yang supporters. This is uh, pre-COVID, uh, soliciting people for signatures to put Andrew Yang on the uh, ballot. They were very enthusiastic uh, young people who were really encouraged by uh, his universal basic income program. So it's it's not that controversial. Uh, for a, a Chicago, I mean, excuse me, for a Democrat to be advocating this. But Chicago's a little weird. I was interesting. Fran Spielman, uh, her story on this in the Sun-Times pointed out that two years ago, I'd forgotten this, a task force uh, on universal basic income in Chicago had been appointed by Mayor Rahm Emanuel, and they suggested giving 1,000 struggling Chicagoans $1,000 a month to help break the cycle of poverty. That course, that, that, that report was largely ignored. I'd completely forgotten about it. But the general attitude in the city of Chicago when it comes uh, to using dollars, uh, to doling out dollars uh, to help people is this. It's very much a trickle down. The notion is, is that it's more effective in the city of Chicago. This is how people in Chicago think. If you give, let's say, $1.3 billion to a developer to build an upscale project, somehow or other, like Lincoln Yards, somehow or other, in the Chicago scheme of things, those benefits, that handout to that developer will trickle down and help somebody who's poor. Somehow or other, it'll it'll make its way to that person. But if you give the money directly to the poor person, well, you're encouraging sloth and laziness. It's welfare. Uh, you, it's, uh, it's undermining the economy. That's kind of the attitude in the city of Chicago, which is... Again, it's a very Democratic city, but it has very Republican-esque, Romney-like attitudes. Uh, that was particularly the case with uh, Rahm Emanuel. I don't see much difference uh, with Lori Lightfoot. So, yeah, I don't see 
that this program getting traction as much as I may like it, as much as many Democrats may like it. I just don't see it get any traction because it just goes counter to sort of the prevailing attitudes and policies in the city. In fact, I, I would say if you, if you gave them truth serum, many of the leaders in Chicago would say they don't want the people living here that Cooper Villegas uh, is talking about assisting uh, with the uh, $500 a month, no strings attached uh, income. They don't want them here. That, of course, was Chris Kennedy's analysis of Mayor Rahm's planning policies. They want to move them out. So very interesting that Vegas would say kind of encouraging that sort of the uh, leftist ideology of the uh, Democratic Socialists seems to be taking hold and influencing other aldermen. But ultimately, I can't see Mayor Lori Lightfoot uh, signing on to this. Mayor Lightfoot, prove me wrong. How did you go from sharing stories over the years to deciding to write a book? Good question, Mayor. Good question. All right, and finally, uh, city investigators have cited eight Chicago businesses last weekend for violating coronavirus restrictions, including one Southwest Side Child Play Center that had over 100 people inside. This is according to the Business Affairs and Consumer Protection, which said other citations were handed to bars, restaurants and businesses that failed to enforce social distancing or mask requirements. Overall, an agency spokesperson said in a statement, quote, the vast majority of Chicago businesses are complying with the capacity regulations. Earlier this week, the city's liquor control commissioner sent letters to bars ahead of St. Patrick's Day weekend, urging them to follow capacity restrictions and safety protocols. Of the 73 investigations between March 4th to March 7th, those cited were Kids Empire, 4938 South Kedzie Avenue for allegedly exceeding capacity limits, allowing over 100 patients. Debonair Social Club, 1575 North Milwaukee for allegedly holding an event without face coverings or social distancing. East Side Sharks, the name of Ben's uh, gang when he was in uh, high school. <laughs> My gang. Eastside Sharks, 100 East 79th Street for allegedly failing to require employees to wear face coverings. Jake's Pub, 2932 North Clark Street for allegedly failing to maintain social distancing and failing to require patrons to be seated while eating or drinking and failing to require face coverings. How about Luigi's Pizza, 4210 and 4212 West Madison Street for allegedly failing to require employees to wear face coverings. We got the Renaissance Bronzeville uh, for allegedly failing to maintain social distancing or require face coverings for patrons. The Safari Lounge and Ethiopian Cuisine for allegedly failing to maintain social distancing. An unnamed commercial location, 3306 West North Avenue for allegedly holding an event without face coverings and and that is the list. Hmm. Hmm. Yes. I I got a call was about uh, was a month ago for a friend, a text for a friend. You got to go. He said, go, go drive through Wrigleyville. You got to check out the bars in Wrigleyville. They're really crowded. This is before, I think, the relaxation. And I was really struck by the fact, uh, it's going to sound so naive, there were a lot of people in these bars. So it's pretty obvious that even in the city of Chicago, uh, that uh, there's folks who they don't 
view this as a dangerous threat, uh, the pandemic, uh, the virus, et cetera, and so forth. So they don't feel compelled to wear a mask. They don't feel compelled to socially distance themselves. And uh, I don't know what we can do as uh, a society to protect ourselves from them and protect them. It's, it's like I said, it's on the, they're outside. Like it's like they're outside the world that we exist in the, the world in which people like listen to the advice of the mayor or listen to the advice of the, um, the governor. And it's really, I can't, D, I can't really be that mad at them. I mean, Alderman Tom Tunney, the zoning leader, the city council was operating the illegal cinnamon roll speakeasy. I have a hard time. It's a hard time for me to all oh, be really upset at some guy who runs a bar on wherever, 75th Street or 39th Street, all those streets you rattle off, violating the rules of protocol. He's going to get punished. And the head of the zoning committee did it. And he goes, oh, I'm sorry. You know, the governor of the state of California, Gavin Newsom, just reading about the recall effort against him. I still haven't gotten over that. I still haven't forgiven him for going to, what was it, the French bakery. After saying, going to a restaurant, the French breaker, if they're saying we absolutely cannot tolerate congregating uh, in restaurants, large groups, it's too dangerous. There had been a spike. So it, it's it's just more the same with this pandemic as uh, as the year unfolds, one full year of the pandemic. D. Uh, people don't believe. It's like there's so much skepticism. And I guess in a way, I kind of feel responsible on some level to this day. I've spent so so much of my life feeding the skeptical public. I'm so skeptical anything uh, the city says by now, having covered various uh, city leaders and mayors since 1981. I don't really trust them either. So there's just such great distrust in our city uh, in terms of what official people say in our country. And I think folks just came to their own notion about the uh, the virus. They they came to the the, the notion. Well, it, it really only kills older people, so I don't have to worry about it. Great column by uh, Neil Steinberg in today's Bright One. I'll be talking about it with Ramana Hussein about the uh, medical staff at Roseland Community Hospital. Fifty seven percent have declined the vaccine that many nationwide are clamoring for. I'm reading Neil Steinberg's column. Fifty seven percent. They could get we joked on the show uh, for the last month or so about how much I wanted the vaccine, how I couldn't get it, how I couldn't get through uh, the computer to reach the appointment center uh, that it seemed like I was always one step behind. And out of nowhere, I got an invitation to get the vaccine through Advocate, my uh, health care provider. So I felt very lucky and fortunate. Here are employees of a hospital. They've had access to the vaccine almost from the get-go. 57% have declined it. There's a whole bunch of reasons for it. So I'm not surprised, D. It's um, a very fractured, divided country, as I said. It's not just like red states and blue states divisions, not just downstate and upstate in uh, Illinois, you know, the Pritzker supporters versus those folks with the Pritzker suck signs. It's also here in the city of Chicago, supposedly, uh, well, overwhelmingly Democratic city. So I'm not surprised at all by this. By the way, how have you seen a lot of Pritzker suck signs? I need a Pritzker suck sign update. Well, I've seen a few. I've been kind of in this apartment uh, the last day, but uh, yeah, I've seen a few, like maybe four or five. 
That's it? Yeah, sorry. <laughs> I was expecting more based on our last reportage. Get out there more. Drive around more. Get in your mom's car. <laughs> Drive up and down those streets and all and tell me, get back to me. Four or five? Well, maybe there's hope for Pritzker. We well, did I didn't look hard enough, really. It wasn't really looking that hard, you know what I mean? <laughs> He's already backtracking on that four or five thing. Businesses cited for violating COVID-19 regulations can receive two citations with a potential fine of up to $10,500. The agency has said businesses could face closure if they repeatedly violate regulations. Earlier in March, Mayor Lightfoot loosened restrictions to city bars and restaurants, which are now allowed to operate at 50% capacity or 50 people, whichever is less. Yeah, well, like I said, uh, I'm convinced that half the people in the city of Chicago don't believe. Uh, well, maybe not the city of Chicago. Maybe not 50 percent of the city of Chicago. Maybe 20 percent of the people in the city of Chicago uh, don't believe they're going to catch the virus anyway. And if they do, it's not going to kill them anyway. So what's the big deal? All right, everybody. That is our local news. Well, at least that's what I have. Uh, remember, you can download previous Ben Jarofsky shows, Benny J bonus interviews like this weekend's Benny J bonus interviews. That will be available Saturday, Sunday, and Monday, chicagoreader.com and wherever else you download podcasts. Uh, remember, you can email the Ben Jarofsky show. It's true. Benny J show at gmail.com. B-E-N-N-Y, the letter J show at gmail.com. You can reach us on social media at Benny J show, B-E-N-N-Y, the letter J show on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. And you can call the Ben Jarofsky show. It's true. We have a phone number. 708-658-4788. That number again, 708 658 Four seven eight eight. We've got a lot of voicemails lately. Let's keep it going. Reach out to the Ben Jarofsky show. Uh, you can do whatever you want. All right. If we find it entertaining, we will play it on our program. Prank us. Uh, let us know some information. Uh, Bulls trivia. We do that a lot. Uh, Jim, where are you at with that Bulls trivia? Uh, whatever you want to do. 708-658-4788. We would love to hear from you. And we got to tell you. You can become a binhead. That's right. That is an avid listener of the Ben Jarofsky show. Right now at chicagoreader.com forward slash Jarofsky, you have options. By the way, J-O-R-A-V is in victory, S-K-Y. You have options, all right? Three options on how you can help support the Ben Jarofsky show. You can become an Alley member. Become a binhead at the Alley membership level, and you will be subscribed to the Chicago Reader newsletter. And it's only $5 a month. Boom. Or $60 a year. However else you want to do that. We have a second level, the Avenue level. You can become a binhead at the Avenue level and you will be subscribed to the Chicago Reader Newsletter. And you will get a $10 discount on the book from Ben Jarofsky, the brand new book. His greatest hits covering 40 years of Chicago journalism. You get a $10 discount at the Avenue level and the Chicago Reader Newsletter at $10 a month. Then finally at $20 a month, Benny Boulevard. Become a binhead at the Boulevard level. And you will be subscribed to the Chicago Reader Newsletter, and you will get a free copy of Ben's new book, His Greatest Hits. Join now at the Boulevard level for only $20 a month. And uh, yeah, Ben, how are you feeling about that book being released? Well, I'm going to hold it up right now. No one can see it, but go ahead. Oh, my beloved book. I love the book being released. I talked yesterday uh, a little bit about the... Um, 
the first story in the book, which uh, Central Committee in which Cha- Chairman Verdoliak is reelected and Alderman Mel uh, acts like a jerk. And I realized, D, that uh, it, it was funny. I was thinking about this when I went for a walk last night. I talked about it uh, last night. Uh, there's a portion of this story where I capture uh, Alderman Richard Mel uh, acting, uh, behaving really poorly and badly. And um, so I didn't write the headline, uh, but they put uh, Alderman Mel as a jerk. And he didn't t- talk to me for a long time. Many, many uh, years went by. He wouldn't return to calls, et cetera, and so forth. Uh, and I always thought that it was because he mistook me for another reader writer. There was another reader writer in the 80s, Gary Rivlin, a great writer uh, who uh, left the reader and I think he worked for the New York Times. Um, he, I think he ended up moving out to California. But uh, he covered City Hall in the 1980s and he wrote a book about Harold Washington and Council Wars. Uh, there was um, uh, Fire on the Prairie, excellent book, which I think uh, got option. They're going to be making it into a movie or a, some kind of series about Harold Washington's days as mayor. Uh, but anyway, so Gary uh, would cover City Hall and uh, he did an interview with Richard Mel, uh, in which Mel admitted in the interview that they were sabotaging Harold Washington. This is ancient history, but it's uh, it's, it's relevant to, to this day that they were uh, an argument can be made that sabotaging uh, Harold Washington's administration, even if the uh, it was a short-term detriment to the city of Chicago, uh, if, even if people paid a price for bad services because they were sabotaging the administration, you could argue that that short-term loss would be more than made up for a long-term gain. This is not me. This is Richard Mell. I'm paraphrasing. Uh, if you defeated Harold Washington. In other words, the notion of Harold Washington as mayor was so... Uh, bad for the city of Chicago, that it was worth suffering short-term losses uh, to get him out of office. So that was the argument that he made, and Gary had it on tape, and he wrote an article about it. It was really embarrassing. It's kind of an embarrassing worldview to have, that you're willing uh, to sabotage an administration, uh, hurt your constituents, if you will, by giving them lesser services in order for long-term, what you consider long-term political gains. And so uh, he made, uh, Gary Riva made Richard Mel look bad. And then Richard Mel was like a, one of those things where, oh, you know, I wasn't quoted accurately, but he had him on tape. So I always thought, you know, that's the thing. Richard Mel is mixing me up with Gary Rivel. He's got all his reader writers mixed. For years, I'd say, Richard Mel is mixing me up with Gary Rivel. We don't look alike. And we're totally two different people. And, you know, Gary, uh, Gary had an earring. I remember, I'm the, I'm the reader writer without the earring. And then I read, I got the, went through my old articles, D, and I saw that headline. And I go, oh, wait a minute. Alderman Mel acts like a jerk. Oops. <laughs> anyway, he, he, Mel was uh, not as dumb as I thought he was. Uh, so uh, I, <laughs> it wasn't that he was mixing me up with uh, Gary Rivlin. He um, remembered uh, quite clearly uh, that I wrote that story. But uh, Mr. Mel, I didn't write the headline. Uh, at all. And uh, another story that I really love in this book, uh, which um, I'm looking for right now, uh, has to do uh, with my utter obsession. I've talked about this before with Muhammad Ali uh, and his gold medal. And um, I I probably wrote about four or five stories on this subject uh, over the 
from like the 90s into the O's. And this has to do in 1996 when uh, Muhammad Ali received an honorary gold medal uh, in uh, at the Atlanta Olympics. He was the person who actually lit the torch, you know, with the way it goes with the Olympics. Uh, what you have people, there's a, they do the marathon that run into the stadium and there's an honorary lighting of the torch. Various Olympians or great athletes are, get the honor of carrying the torch at various stages along the run. So the five, I can't remember who it was, but the final person who ran in handed the torch to Muhammad Ali and he lit uh, the, uh, the Olympic flame. And it was a beautiful moment. I, I know I was in tears when I saw it because Muhammad Ali had Parkinson's at the time. He, he had pretty much lost his ability to talk uh, and his hand was trembling, but he could still hold that torch and he could still light that flame. The great fighter, the great symbol of resistance uh, to the war and just just a great representative of speaking your mind and having the courage uh, to uh to face the consequences, lit the torch. And all you talk about a united America, all America was united around the notion that Muhammad Ali was a great, uh, was just a great athlete. Well, then they cut to Bob Costas and uh, Bob Costas was the, um, the uh, he was the master of ceremonies at NBC's coverage of it. And he said, you know, there's this apocryphal story like meaning like it's the legend of we of unknown source that says Muhammad Ali threw away his gold medal uh, at a protest. Uh, he won the gold medal in 1960, but he threw it away at a protest of racism in this country. But that's just an apocryphal story. In reality, he just lost it. And later on, we're going to make good uh, to Muhammad Ali. We're going to give him a second gold medal to make to compensate for the one he lost. And I, this, this is the strange stuff that goes on in my head. Dennis always teases me. I got all kinds of weird uh, bits and pieces of information up there. I remember Muhammad Ali's book, The Greatest. And in that book, there's a story about the gold medal. And I went back to my shelf and I took the book out. And uh, yeah, sure enough, Muhammad Ali has this whole story that he tells about how he threw away the medal in protest when he had gone home uh, to... Um, uh, Kentucky, and he wasn't served in a restaurant because he was a black man. It was 1960, and uh, he got in a fight with these racists. It's a whole long story, a whole long involved story, which ended with him throwing the medal uh, into the Ohio River in protest. And so I was like, really upset that Bob Costas would call this an apocryphal story, when in fact the source of the story was Muhammad Ali himself. And so to me, it was like an example of putting words in the mouth of an icon when he wasn't in a position to respond, because as I said, he pretty much lost his ability to speak. So D, I spent like the better part of a week researching that. I talked to the, the co-author, the, the family of the co-author, uh, Richard Durham. He had died. He was Muhammad Ali's co-author of the book, The Greatest. Uh, but I talked to his family and and I sort of countered it. I spent a week doing that. I think about my obsessive behavior. And I, I wrote a whole story, which is in the uh, in the uh, collection that I'm very proud of. It talks about the way America tries to use what controversial people uh, tries to get them to fit into the prevailing ideology. I saw it happen. I talked about this with Karen Lewis after she died. And it happens with Martin Luther King. It's like they're controversial. A lot of people hate them. They're a little frightening. They're a little scary. But it's like they, the mainstream America wants to co-opt it into a narrative that contradicts the, 
what the people themselves were saying when they were around. And so when they're not around, either they can't speak as in the case of Muhammad Ali because he had Parkinson's or they're literally dead in the case of Karen Lewis and uh, Martin Luther King. You take what they said and you make it fit whatever narrative you want, even if it contradicts what they said in the past. So, yeah, that's one of the stories uh, in the book. I'm, I think it stands up pretty well. It stands the test of time. And since then, the anytime I've talked to uh, writers who've written about Muhammad Ali, uh, who know a lot about him, I always have them, what do you think about the gold medal? It's kind of a, a little mini obsession of mine. What do you think about the story about Muhammad Ali and his gold medal? And uh, more often than not, they'll say, well, it's, you know, uh, it's, it's a made up story. He actually just lost the medal. He didn't throw it into the Ohio river. I said, have you ever seen, have you ever seen evidence that Muhammad Ali himself said, I made that story up? And the answer is no. So I'm like curious. It's like, well then why would you say it's made up? I mean, it could be made up. I do not know one way or the other, but all I do know is this. Muhammad Ali, in his book, said he threw it in the Ohio River. He has never said that that was falsehood. He has never contradicted that position. It's just people speaking for him that go around saying it. So it's a mini obsession of mine, D. It's like things that get in my head, you know, and I don't, it's hard for me to shake them out. But if you want to read it, uh, I take the deep dive on, a, on that subject. It's one of the uh, stories uh, that's in this compilation. Ben Jarofsky's greatest hits. And more stories where that came from. Uh, ChicagoReader.com forward slash Jarofsky, J-O-R-A, V as in victory, S-K-Y. It's Ben Jarofsky's greatest hits, a book now available. Go check it out. Covering over 40 years of Chicago journalism. Guys, I'm 37. 40 years of Chicago journalism. Go check it out. ChicagoReader.com slash Jarofsky. And while you're there, become a bin head. Uh, support the Ben Jarofsky show. And you could get a deal on that Greatest Hits book. ChicagoReader.com forward slash Jarofsky. It's Ben Jarofsky's Greatest Hits. All right. We're now going to take a break. And when we come back, Chicago Sun-Times editor Ramana Hussain returns for this week's Ramana Rundown. It's the Ben Jarofsky Show. We are live from my mother's apartment and Ben's attic. Don't go anywhere. survey at the University of Illinois Prairie Research Institute. This is Illinois State Climatologist Trent Ford. How did you... How did you... If you want to talk about a separate issue, there will be a time and a place for that, but you are out of order, sir. State Water Survey at the University of Illinois Prairie Research Institute. This is Illinois State Climatologist Trent Ford. You have to be a good neighbor. You have to be a good neighbor. Otherwise, I'm going to be up your butt every day. Every Friday uh, on 
the Ben Drevsky Show. Ramana Hussein, editor comments for the Chicago Sun-Times, uh, joins us to talk about what's going on in the news of politics and culture and any other thing that pops into our mind. Welcome back, Ramana. Hi, it's good to be back. Hope you guys are well. I am well. I got the shot, my first of two. We'll talk about that in a little while. Um, breaking news uh, that just I just saw flashed across my um, uh, phone right now related to items I was going to ask you about. So much I want to talk to you about. Tucker Carlson, Tammy Duckworth, uh, Oprah and the Royals, uh, Piers Morgan, and um, uh, Neil Steinberg's column that he uh, wrote today about uh, people getting the, co- the the vaccine. But this just broke, and I, I got to get your opinions on this one. Andrew Cuomo, we talked about this last week, governor of New York, uh, has, I think, five accusations. I can't remember exactly, Romano, so don't hold me to it, but I think it's five accusations of sexual harassment of one form or another uh, from women who have either uh, met him at a party or worked for him. Um, some really sketchy stuff. Uh, a coalition of uh, New York Democrats called for him to step down, and uh, this breaking just literally as you were coming on, Cuomo said he's not going to step down. He is not going to bow to, quote, cancel culture. I got to say, that really irritated me. And I'd love to hear your thoughts. When you have Democrats echoing MAGA about cancel culture as though they are the victims of some kind of, I don't know, prevail, like some kind of uh, cultural lynch mob, as a way of ducking what they've been accused of doing. I just find it's like all standards been thrown out the window, Romana, and that any kind of behavior it be tolerated. If you turn the people who uh, have legitimate accusations against you uh, into some of this baseless, what uh, baseless mob of uh, politically correct a faction of Democrats. Your thoughts about all this? Well, I actually just took a bit, maybe about an hour, hour and a half ago. I saw that he said that he wasn't going to resign. I didn't see the comments about the cancel culture. Did he just hold a news conference? He maybe put out a statement earlier. He said he wasn't going to resign. And he said that, you know, we should let this investigation play out. And he denies the allegations and said that if I made anybody feel uncomfortable, I think he apologized for that. But I didn't see the cancel culture comments until you just told me about it. He might have um, came out and spoken out to um, the press instead of like a statement. But, yeah, I don't know why you would bring that up, especially I don't know what his handlers like, you know, you would think that they would tell him. I don't know if you want to use the language that that, that, you know, people who are MAGA putting this out there. And I also agree with, um, you know, the investigation being played out, but he is being called out. You have to wonder what you know, information people know, or, you know, I'm not saying, you know, obviously we want to wait until like we hear about what the investigation says, but I don't know. I don't know if I would use, if I was in his place, I don't know if I would use the cancel culture term. Um, the latest was, I don't know, I, I'm, I'm forgetting the tally of how many women stepped forward to, I know, you know, it kept increasing. There was one and then it was two and then it was three. But I know this week there was a new allegation that a woman said that she was groped by Andrew Cuomo. And for that allegation, there was a police report that was filed. So this is a that is an actual, you know, criminal case file. 
um, I don't know, I'm, I'm assuming it's a misdemeanor, but so, you know, these these allegations, I feel like there's one one after another, like every time you wake up, there's like a new allegation. So I think these are serious allegations, given the number of, you know, even if it was one woman, but there's just there seems to be like a lot of people coming out of the woodwork saying that this happened to them. So I think this is something that needs to be taken seriously. I just don't know if I was Andrew Cuomo, if I would use that language. He can say that he doesn't want to resign and that he wants to wait for, you know, the investigation to pan out. But yeah, I don't know. I personally wouldn't use that language if I was Andrew Cuomo. Yeah, well, I find that uh, cancel culturing, I'm going to, the cancel culture language, I'm going to use something I've picked up from my millennials in my life. It's very triggering. Uh, yeah, for okay. me, whenever I hear cancel culture, it triggers <laughs> something in me. What does what it trigger in you, Ramana, when well, you hear somebody talk about cancel I, culture? I was just, I, it's really funny because I was talking about that with my younger sister the other day. I have an older sister and she, ha, you know, we have a we have a millennial niece. She's like 26 years old. And she was telling me how she told her parents that they can't say, th- say certain things like that to her because they're triggering. And I was telling my younger sister about this and I'm like, can you imagine if we told our parents that that was triggering and that they couldn't tell us anything? They tell us to shut up. So I don't know. I I think I'm not used to being triggered, but no, I I do get triggered by certain things. Cancel culture. Every time I hear someone complain about cancel culture, I kind of know what their politics are. Nine out of ten times, um, I feel like every time someone's complaining about cal- cancel culture, I'm like, oh god, it's probably someone who supports Trump. And you know what? They're you know they're probably I guess. One of the things that people can say that with, you know, cancel culture are some people unfairly called out. I'm sure there's one or two instances of that. But in general, when it comes to celebrities or, you know, any notable people who are canceled so far, 90 percent of the time, 95 percent of the time, I'm not shocked. And the allegations are enough for someone to, you know, at least what does cancel mean? Nobody's saying that these people are going to be. You know, we can't read, you know, like people were saying Dr. Seuss was canceled. It wasn't canceled. The estate decided not to print those books. Nobody's saying that those books are banned. So, like, people confuse what things are. I mean, if you want to cancel someone, I mean, if you want to stop watching Woody Allen movies, that's fine. I mean, his movies are still available. You, you don't have to, you, if you want to, like, not cancel Woody Allen, nobody's telling you not to watch him. Some people just don't want to watch him. They're saying he's canceled. There's just different things that are canceled left and right. And, you know, People have consequences for their actions. Um, I don't know if you follow. I don't know if you're a big fan of Mumford and Sons. They're a fan. <laughs> <laughs> but the guitarist. I no, I'm not. But when you said it, uh, just the notion of me. I, I remember them from the Grammys. I believe they're the group that did a song in the Grammys, and they had rain falling on them. Yeah. Uh, whatever. That was a couple of Grammys ago. But go on. Anyway, one of the guitarists, um, I think he tweeted about in support of this like right wing um, anti Antifa journalist. His name is and- Andy No, I think it's pronounced as an NGO. It's like he's like this Asian American guy who's just very anti. He's very right wing. So that so the band decided to take a break. You know, because people were just piling on. I saw Mumford and Sons t- trending on Twitter, and I'm like, what's this about? <laughs> and then. Um, so there are consequences to your actions if you do align yourself with certain things or you've been accused of like sexual harassment. And, you know, the Me Too movement didn't happen 
until recently. And, you know, even though people look down upon upon sexual harassment, I feel like I was talking about this with my husband, Mick, yesterday, and he's like, oh, you know, Andrew Cuomo, how could people do things like that? And I'm like, no offense, but men are kind of given a pass for all these years. I mean, you can look at pop culture and movies and everybody would laugh at this stuff, laugh this stuff off. I mean, I think if you talk to any woman that you know, any woman in your life, almost all of them have been groped or grabbed by someone that, you know, it, it was an unwelcoming grab. That's probably happened to like almost every woman, you know, so it, this is more pervasive than people would like to think, or that, you know, I think men, men, men are always like, Oh my God, how could this happen? And I'm like, if you just, the culture has allowed this to happen. It's only recently, I mean, even with Anita Hill, um, she was, you know, she called out Clarence Thomas, but that was like this huge, you know, did it really solve anything? I mean, not really. Clarence Thomas is on the Supreme Court. You know, he wasn't he wasn't held accountable at the end of the day. Um, so I think this was allowed to happen and it was something that was acceptable in some way. I mean, even though people say it never was acceptable, it was in some forms like there was a wink and a nod. Boys will be boys kind of attitude. So that's just my opinion. Well, I um, the whole notion of cancel culture, uh, part of the reason I find it so triggering <laughs> uh, is that just I love saying it triggers me. Uh, but part of the reason I find it so triggering is that it, it it's um, it's limited to people who are liberal or on the left. So follow me on this. When NFL football players started taking a knee. Colin Kaepernick led that movement. Uh, and uh, then NBA players began either taking a knee or wearing uh, Black Lives Matter uh, T-shirts or sweatshirts, et cetera, and identifying with this cause. Donald Trump took great delight, and MAGA was repeating it, took great delight in saying, those ratings have fallen. America despises the behavior of athletes who take a knee rather than stand for the national anthem. He was pounding his chest at the fact that his supporters, which probably we don't even know if it was true. It was coming out of Trump's mouth, but let's just assume that it was true that his supporters by the millions were walking away from football and basketball because they were repulsed by the message being sent out by the players yeah. So what is that but cancel culture? Exactly. And I mean, Colin Kaepernick, Ka- Kaepernick got canceled by, you know, he got canceled. He lost his job. So for people to act like people aren't haven't been canceled, people have been canceled for doing harmless things. And, you know, these are usually people of color. So, like, I, I've said this before on your show. It's only because white people are being canceled now that all the people on the right are going crazy or like white people with certain views. I'm not canceling you yet, Ben. So <laughs> <laughs> no. that would be very triggering if you canceled yeah. me, Ramana. Okay, it would be very triggered. Uh, yeah, so I, I'm triggered by cancel. We'll go from cancel uh, culture and Andrew <laughs> Cuomo. We'll probably be talking about Andrew Cuomo for a while. Yeah, but probably. I got to admit, when I saw that headline, it just popped up, and he added a quote. So I, it, uh, you probably. It, he added it after the story you read it's but it's a quote cancel culture yeah. I'm like oh come on andrew cuomo 
Not really. That's you know, it's you know, it's bad when you're trying to appeal to the mentality of the people that despise you. Like now, is it going to flip? Is he going to become a hero to the Tucker Carlson's of the world because he blasted cancel culture? Is that where we're at now, Ramana, where it's like instantly all you got to do is be what? Be, be accused of sexual harassment, blast your critics as cancel culture-ites, and then boom, MAGA is going to love you? Is that yeah, where we're at? That could happen. <laughs> I think that's the way it goes. All right. Now, please explain to me what mentioned Tucker Carlson. I'm going to need your help. Uh, Tucker Carlson is outraged by women in the military. Uh, pregnant and, uh, military, pregnant. right? Wasn't it pregnant women in the military? Yeah, that's part of his outrage. Yeah. Uh, like the fact that you're going to have to tailor uniforms for pregnant women. Uh, but in general, he thinks that the military is becoming too feminine. Yeah. And that China is laughing at us. I had a funny, I already mentioned this. It's like Republicans, like they have this, uh, they idolize women who, uh, who are not in the military, who go around showing how proficient they are with weaponry. You know, they can load oh, yeah. guns, shoot guns. They love uh, Congresswoman Marjorie Taylor Greene. She's got the pistol, you know, and then the Congresswoman from uh, Colorado, from the, the town of Rifle. She runs a restaurant where everybody has to wear, everybody packs, all the waitresses pack. They love women when just ordinary citizens are firing guns. But you put a woman in a uniform and suddenly what? Now the army's been feminized. Please explain Tucker Carlson to me, Ramana, so I can uh, you're my expert on all things I, MAGA. Go ahead. I, I'm actually not. I can tell you um, Tucker Carlson is kind of like a Generation X Rush Limbaugh for me. So I never really watched Tucker Carlson. I got to say the bow tie didn't really do it for me. I remember I just I'm like, who is this guy? And so I never really watched him, but I knew what his viewpoints were. Um, but I feel like it's like I hear about him more and more than I did before. Maybe, um, you know, I don't know if he's gotten like, you know, more right through the years, but I know he, I know he's been on air for a long time and he's been on air since he was probably in his twenties, but I know what he was about. It's kind of like Rush Limbaugh. So I don't understand Tucker Carlson as much as you do. I was telling you before, um, I know we're going to talk a little bit about Pierce Morgan losing his job in England. Uh, and there's some like, Morning, Mark. Um, black British people, please let us know how we can do the same thing to Tucker Carlson in America. So, um, you know, he's been kind of like on a roll in terms of, you know, saying things. So he was he was, I think, taking a shot at Biden, who was um, honoring military um, women in the military on Women's International Day. Um, or I don't know if it's International Women's Day. Sorry if I'm saying it wrong. But then he just said something like, oh, God, we're totally feminizing, you know, the military. And then I think like a day later, he was also in the news or maybe the same day. The next day, he started going after a New York Times reporter named Taylor Lawrence, who was talking about, um, you know, she was also in light of International Women's Day, mentioned um, the online harassment a lot of women receive and then Tucker Carlson went after her saying that you're a privileged journalist. What are you talking about? And then he started, you know, he started, you know, they started, there was a back and forth because this woman worked for the New York Times. There was a back and forth between the New York Times and Tucker Carl Carlson. So there was an AP story on that too. So um, 
so the military comments prompted Tammy Duckworth, Senator Tammy Duckworth, and from who's from Illinois and served in the military and lost, I think, both was it both of her legs? It was both of her legs in the military in Iraq. Um, she basically um, told him on Twitter, "F you." I know we can swear on this show, but I'm trying to keep keep things easy for you. So she basically. <laughs> Um, she said when she was in the military, and then she went on in her in her tweet about how when she was in the military, Tucker Carlson was, you know, perfecting his two step. And then she made some comment about how even without legs or maybe it was in, in kind of like inferring that she goes, even I'm a better dancer than Tucker Carlson. So she went after him. And so um, I saw, I did see that um, Lynn Sweet, our Washington uh, bureau chief, did alert us to that in her tweet. So, um, yeah, that was that was pretty interesting. I, I, I did hear about the Tammy Duckworth tweet, but I didn't know that she started going after his dancing skills as well. Yeah, or lack thereof. Uh, by the way, we've already teased you on the show for uh, uh, not swearing. Isn't that funny? You get teased for not swearing on the show. You're yeah. probably the only guest who's been on the show that hasn't sworn. Uh, I have vowed not to swear as much. Uh, but yeah, when it's a podcast, you can say whatever you want. Uh, we don't. We don't. I don't I don't know. I feel like you don't swear that much, from what I know. Uh, well, I don't swear much. Every now and then, it pops out. Uh, if I may, my mom near the end of her life really turned into a potty mouth. Uh, <laughs> and I think uh, I think as people get older, I want to say they tend to swear more. This is just they just the inhibitions that limited them their whole life. Yeah. Blank that. You know, almost dropped it. Uh, so, but I just was kind of like, Ray, I'm, I was like you. I was, uh, you're not supposed to swear when you're speaking in the public. It's not the right thing to do. You're not supposed to swear when you, you're not supposed to write the word out when you write your articles. And so I like wrestled with this as all around me, just, you know, everybody was, was swearing. Uh, yeah. and, and just, it's just, I know, Ronna, you I've had many conversations with you off there. You are not a swearer. You no. don't. It's just not something My you do. My mom thinks I, but I'm not. Like, I, I say, like, certain words, but I, I, I don't swear that much. And, you know, my mom thinks I do. It's funny because, I don't know, as a child of immigrants, my parents would be like, oh, if they heard, I mean, if I said the F-bomb, they would probably, like, ground me, even if I was in my 20s. I mean, I just never, <laughs> and I actually, it's really funny because I never, my mom never, you know, swore. They used words, but I'm like, oh, you guys swear all the time. My mom's like, that's not a real swear. And then I learned, like, Urdu swear words or Hindi swear words from, like, watching an art movie about this gangster in India, this female gangster in India. And I told my mom, I'm like, oh, that's how you say, like, you know, my mom's like, I don't say those words because nobody in my family, no women in my family say these words. But, you know, like I, le I learned the F word through like movies and stuff like that. My parents weren't huge swears. But yeah, I don't know. I, as a child of immigrants, my parents are like, no, you don't swear. But I do swear. And they say, there are studies, apparently, they say that if you swear, you're smarter. Really? Yeah, I think I think they said you're more you're there's something about like people who swear tend to be more intelligent. What's the correlation? I don't I don't I see the obvious correlation. You know, I don't know. I forgot. But I yeah, I try to re I try to refrain from swearing. But when I'm really angry, I might swear if I'm really mad at someone. I don't think I swear at people that much. Like I don't call people. Well, clearly, I, I've already had fun with this one, but clearly Tammy Duckworth feels some of the same restraint. So as a veteran, as a veteran who paid a huge price for her service, uh, the loss of both legs uh, when the helicopter she was in uh, was shot at uh, and crashed, as a veteran who's paid 
up hate that huge sacrifice. She was clearly upset and justifiably so at Tucker Carlson's comments because they're just so insulting and degrading. Yeah. Uh, but even as upset as she was, she couldn't go full out. So she didn't <laughs> spell out that I just got to kick it. Come on, Tammy, let it go. Because, you know, by the way, she served in the military. I guarantee you the F-bomb was flying everywhere. Oh, yeah. Uh, when oh, she yeah. was. I think it's because she's a, a public figure. Um, it's kind of like Obama. It's like, you know, he's on his podcast. I think he did. He does swear on his the podcast, not like really major swear words. But I think he he like let out some swear words. The last podcast I was listening to. It's kind of like. You don't do it when you're serving as president. You're not, you know, you could see Obama swearing like off or even Trump. So, oh, I don't know. Trump probably did swear on, on his Twitter feed. But I think it's just because, you know, they're the president. They're not going to swear. I mean, in journalism, we all know that everybody swears. It's just kind of like, you know, the newsroom, you know, everybody's swearing left and right. But I kind of feel like with this discussion about toxic culture, I think it's kind of toned down a little. Um, you know, people don't kind of scream and swear as much as even even when I started in the 90s like some of the editors that would swear that like it was like it was like they had Tourette's but now I feel like it's a little less acceptable I, I don't I don't think the millennial I think it would trigger trigger a lot of millennials if they were swearing left and right but I think it's a in a way it's good because sometimes people would be swearing and berating other people and trying to get you know trying to use that to pile them up and become better journalists but i don't think that is necessarily a good tactic all the time well i i'm with the millennials in this one and by the way i always say this i i i make fun of millennials all the time but a, a lot of the things that champion i applaud oh. them for championing and i wish i had had the guts to do it so oh, yeah. it's all love for me and millennials plus oh, i'm turning I'm turning them all the time for help with my computer and stuff so i gotta be nice to them I get annoyed with some millennials sometimes, but but I agree with you. I mean, just as a woman of color, the the things, you know, we have discussions in our newsrooms and things that I felt all my life, they're just saying it and they're calling people out for it. And and why not? I, I think those are good things. And so I, I totally I, I do have respect for a lot of millennials. I mean, I joke around about them all the time, but um, I there's millennials in my life and they're smart as anybody else. And. You know, even though I'm a Gen X and I make fun of boomers and, and millennials, but <laughs> that's what you Gen X. All right. But now, I, I will say this is the point I was going to make. I'm with them 100 percent when it comes to abusive behavior by bosses uh, in a work environment. I it's not the military. The military takes pride in just sort of like breaking you down and re, and rebuilding you as a uh, as a soldier. But when you go to work for a newspaper, you're not going to work for a military organization. The uh, your editor is not your drill sergeant. They're not. You didn't sign up to be broken down and re uh, recreated uh, as yeah. a new human being. No, you got. That's inappropriate. I'm with the military. I had a. Uh, oh my goodness! I had a boss not too long ago through a tirade, uh, f bomb flying. I'm like looking at him like you are out of your freaking mind, but you got to be calm because the guy is so insane at that moment. You don't know what he's going to do. I yeah. think it's really inappropriate. Uh, I applaud the millennials uh, for demanding that there's 
more civility I agree. Uh, in the work environment. Uh, so, you know, uh, with the millennials on that one. And I, I teased Tammy Duckworth for dropping the U and the C out of Come on. Come on, Senator Duckworth. You can do it. I know you can write that U and the C. Let Tucker Carlson really know what you think about him. All right, let's go. I need your, uh, you to take the deep dive on the Royals and the interview with Oprah from A to Z. Uh, you watched it, so I didn't have to watch it. Thank you very much, Romana. Although I've watched selective clips of it. I'm a huge fan of Oprah Winfrey. I just got to put that out there right now. I've always just kind of admired her. I, just the way she built her brand. I give her so much credit. Um, so I applauded Oprah and the little snippets I saw. It was classic Oprah, <laughs> classic Oprah interview. What was your thoughts about that interview? Go ahead. Um, so I, I'm like you, I didn't watch the interview until like after reading about it. So I knew, I knew everything that was going to happen. Um, you know, I just loved all the reactions cause it was like, it, I mean, people are still reacting to it. Um, you know, a lot of people who like had, like for me, for example, who I'm Indian, my parents have always talked about how evil the British people are, especially the Royal family. You know, any anybody that has any connection to any colonized country, everybody's like, oh, people are re- realizing the royal family is racist now and evil now. But uh, Meghan Markle, um, there was like a few snippets where she talked about um, how there was someone in the royal family who was concerned about the color of the baby's skin. Um, that was what stuck out for me. And I'm like, oh, my God. That kind of sounds like Indian people, by the way, because there's a lot of colorism in India. So people worry about what color the skin, what color skin the baby will be. So a lot of Indian people are saying like they're saying things like, oh, I guess it's like being an Indian family. So, you know, a lot of, you know, a lot of people felt um, sympathy for Meghan Markle. You know, you know, her and Harry are going to be fine. Like, I, I don't know if you heard, but they went, you know, after they left England and they cut off ties or I don't know if it's cutting off ties technically, but just left the ro- their royal duties they went to go live with Tyler Perry. And I was telling my friends, I'm like, I mean, I don't, I mean, Tyler Perry probably has like a huge house. So I said, I, I bet they had like everything they wanted in that house. I go, you know, it's one thing if they moved in with Mick and I, I would feel bad. because <laughs> then They'd have no place to stay, but you know, I don't, I think they'll be fine financially, but some of the stuff I know Meghan Markle and I, you know, I don't really, I'm not a huge Royal family like follower, but I did read about Meghan Markle, Markle and, a lot of the racist stuff that was said about her when she was in England. Um, you know, I think when her baby was born, there was a radio host that said that it was going to look like a monkey. And they've had like, yeah, I think they said straight out of like Compton when she was going to marry, um, when she was going to marry Harry. So it's like all this stuff was like terrible. I mean, you could say that you don't like her, but you can't say that that, that kind of behavior is acceptable. Like talk about acceptable behavior. So of course I, I'm like, after, after everybody, like my friends, my sisters, like everybody's talking about it. I'm like, okay, now I got to watch the interview. The one thing about the Oprah interviewers, like you could, when I saw it on um, cable, like on, uh, on demand, you couldn't fast forward the commercials. So you had to sit through the commercials. And um, it was funny because like, I think the British people, um, who are watching it got the same commercials and they're just stunned by the uh, commercials that we have for medications. Um, that's what it, people in England were talking about. Like that was trending on Twitter for them. Um, yeah. So I thought the interview, I mean, Oprah is like a master. She's a master at interviewing people. Um, and uh, we were just kind of thinking like Oprah shouldn't be shocked that, you know, 
because she, you know, she was really shocked when Megan said that, you know, they were asking about the baby's skin tone and said that he wasn't going to, the baby wasn't going to re- receive security. And Oprah's like, oh, what? And then all my friends are like, she's the one that got kicked out of Hermes, like in Paris. So she should know that, you know, racism, racism still exists. So I think it was a, you know, cultural moment. I talked to, um, a friend of mine, my coworker, Stefano Esposito, and he he's a huge fan of the royal family. So I asked him, I'm like, I'm surprised you're not saying anything about the interview. And he, he told me, he was like, he was fed up. He's like, there's a pandemic going on right now. Is this what people care about? There's people dying. <laughs> I had a laugh that he was like, he was the one that was like, I don't, I don't care about this stuff right now. So I think, I think it was like a good distraction. And it was definitely interesting to hear and about AP stories um, coming out like every like hour, not every hour, I'm exaggerating, but just about the fallout and the discussions that's leading to, because there's also like an article that I saw that like people in black people in England were not shocked that the Royal family said these kind of things. So it was kind of funny, like the discussions that people are having, it's kind of like the discussions that we've been having in the wake of George Floyd as well, even though this is more of a, you know, I guess I'm putting in quotes, frivolous subject matter well i i'm gonna disagree with uh your friend uh from the sun times that i don't think the issue of race in in england is a frivolous subject matter uh and uh, the royal family yeah and uh listen i don't know how why you could call the royal family a frivolous subject matter it's like that's their system that they've had for centuries i mean it's it's the way of life in England. Uh, they accept the queen and the king, and it's. I find it very bizarre. I find it very bizarre that we in the United States would have an obsession with the king and the queen. Oh, I thought I, that's what the the Revolutionary War was about. I, but the the one thing um, that I found really interesting, get your thoughts on this. Uh, Darling Glanton for the Tribune columnist wrote a very. Um, uh, good column. I don't know if you had a chance to see it, but she was talking about uh, the notion of bi- be people being biracial. Uh, yeah. And um, Meghan Merkel uh, always identif- identified herself as biracial, uh, which is absolutely her right. Obviously, it's, yeah. it's her identity. Uh, but then she marries into the royal family. And as you just pointed out, suddenly she's black. And suddenly yeah. there's all these jokes and there's racist jokes. And it's like, in terms of in white people's minds, you're black. Uh-huh. And what was what's your thoughts about that in terms of racial identity and how white people uh, view people of color? Go ahead. I'm not shocked at all because, you know, as long as you have, you know, I guess wasn't that the one drop rule like a long time ago? It's it's the same kind of attitude. I mean, I remember when um, I had a colleague who's African-American when um, Barack Obama was elected uh, president and, and we were talking about him and she said, you know, he's black. I'm like, oh, you know, he's biracial. Actually, you know, actually, you know, we're just it wasn't like a serious conversation. But then she was just like, you know what? When people look at him and Americans look at him they think black so he i call him a black man and so she's like that's the way people are going to treat him like a black man so people can identify themselves as however they want to but when they see that person or they know that that person is like part african-american it's like they become black all of a sudden unless they are like are someone that's like white passing i guess you know, Meghan Markle's always said, you know, about her, her being a person of color, unless someone never talks about it, 
then people don't bring it up. But as soon as someone brings it up and says, you know, I am biracial, you know, my my father or mother was African-American and my other parent was not African-American, then that then it becomes something that people talk about. Yeah. And it, and it just shows that how racist our society is. Absolutely. And then the uh, sort of corollary to that is just the political fallout uh, to the interview. Uh, we may have mentioned this before the show where if you're a MAGA supporter, all of a sudden now you're with the royal family. Because oh, yeah. how dare the royal family be accused of racism? This is amazing. In fact, uh, Tucker uh, Tucker Carlson started, he didn't believe uh, that she was really uh, suicidal. You know, automatic, this gets into Pierce Morgan uh, country. Yeah. yeah. And uh, what, a, what a bizarre world where, like, Let's assume uh, that most people agree uh, with your friend at the Sun-Times that this is a frivolous matter, the royal family. But as soon as somebody in the royal family is accused of racism, MAGA is automatically on the side of the royal family. How dare they accuse the queen? Yeah. They're like offended that the queen be accused of racism. Like, very bizarre how the political rumor this is. thing falls out. I guess because I guess the royal family is like super white. You know, it's like they've been always super white. And so, um, you know, and, and the thing is, like, one of the things that I find funny and then I had I had another former colleague who was British and I was like, God, that family looks terrible. And I think we've been seeing memes about how, like, why were they worried about what Megan's baby looked at? Look at them. <laughs> Have they ever looked at themselves? And so there's always been jokes like that. Um, my mom, you know, Indian people, it's really funny because Indian people are also fascinated with the royal family. And, you know, they're colonized by the royal family. When you go to India, there's still things named after certain queen, like Queen Victoria. And my mom used to call my niece um, when she was born. She was like, she used to call her Queen Victoria because she said she was so cute. But then I looked up Queen Victoria and I'm like, my mom, I go, you need to stop calling her that. Look how, look how Queen Victoria looks. I know it's really bad, but it's, it's funny. I mean, as someone who was like, um, you know, parents who were raised in India, the first time I went to England with my family, my dad, we went to the museum and we saw the, the really famous diamond. It's called the Kohinoor diamond, Kohinoor diamond. And it's like huge and it's beautiful. And it has like, you know, it's presented in this, you know, I'm forgetting, forgetting where, and I, I, I know where it is, but I'm just like, it's on the top of my head. And my dad was so mad because it said on the, on the plaque, it said that it was a gifted by India. And my dad's like, they stole it. And my dad was just mad the whole time. <laughs> and we're like, why are you getting so mad? And he's like, because half the stuff is a people. Well, he said more than half the stuff is stolen and they keep saying it's a gift. And so now I, I, it's like you, when you're raised with parents who grew up, you know, in India and they're talking about the British and the, the royal family, then you, you're kind of used to it. So that's, I, it is kind of interesting. I, I did wake up in the middle of the night to watch Diana and Prince Charles get married when I was a little girl. <laughs> After, <laughs> oh, girl, me and my older sister, we got up, we told our parents to wake us up. It's really embarrassing now because I remember I thought it was like so beautiful. Like, you know, I was like, oh, look at Diana and her dress and now that I now that I'm older, I'm like, ew, why would you marry Prince Charles? He was like <laughs> he was thirty-five at the time, she was nineteen, and I just didn't Woody Allen country. Yeah. Uh, I uh, not quite, but almost. I, I on this position, I'm hundred hundred percent with your friend from the Sun Times, uh, Esposito. I I, <laughs> I I was like I was like him, man, back in nineteen eighty one. I, I didn't want to hear about the royal wedding. I'm like, are you kidding me? You were 
What do you care about the royal wedding? I would go around and everybody, so many people I knew were like, thank God her dress is like so. And uh, I, I just, uh, no, I didn't have much patience for the royal wedding in 1980. I didn't really get into the whole lady die thing. I'm going to, this is confession time. Do you remember when she came to Northwestern in 1996 before she died, maybe a year before she died? Everybody was going crazy. Meghan Markle, by the way, is a Northwestern graduate, too. So, I um, knew that. Um, so anyway, I remember everybody going crazy when Diana came to Northwestern. And I was like, what's the big deal? Like, I admit, by that point, I mean, I wasn't a little girl anymore. I was kind of over with the royal family. And then it's just like, I don't know the fascination with it. But I admit, I did watch. I just wanted to see the video, the interview myself. I knew what was going to be said, but it was it was just interesting to see. And I feel I feel like Meghan Markle... Is definitely smarter than Harry. That's another thing that I got from. Okay. <laughs> By the way, true confession time on the Ben Jarofsky show. Romana, ten-year-old Romana Hussein was watching the royal or nine-year-old, whatever she was. Uh, all right, so we'll close with this: no ducking, no dodging. I want you to come uh, s- tell it like it is. Pierce Morgan was he a victim of cancel culture? Was his culture canceled? Go. Did he? He quit himself, didn't he? Or did he get? Yes. So he, he, got, he quit himself. He wasn't a me- he, he didn't have to quit. So I don't think he was a member of cancel culture. He's been saying stuff that, that's kind of insane for a long time. I mean, he said that he didn't believe that Meghan Markle was suicidal. And I think everybody went after him. And then um, Sharon Osbourne said that she like, you know, she was on his side. And then she's has given an apology since because everybody came after her, too. Um, but wait, yeah. wait, she apolo- I missed the apology. Yeah, she apologized. Like, you know, she apologized to... Um, she apologized, I think, to the African-American community because she was becoming adamant. I think she got into argument with someone who was African-American on her show, and she was just uh, defending Pierce Morgan. I don't know the, the extent of it, but I just saw the latest that she's, she's since apologized. But I don't think Pierce Morgan is a victim of cancel culture. He'll probably get another job. He didn't have to quit. Didn't he, like, get up off of the set and just said, I quit? You <laughs> <laughs> can't self, if anything. So You know what? I... I yeah. get grief from my guests all the time. They're always giving. Do you ever see me walk away when some guests gives me a hard time? More, more, more often than not, they're right. Uh, yeah, you got a point there. Uh, so, yeah, I had no sympathy for him at all. And, uh, again, I just don't like the knee jerk response to just defend the royal family from an accusation of bigotry is so bizarre. I mean, what world do you think you're living in? Yeah. Like, haven't you ever been at Thanksgiving dinner and you heard what your uncle had to say about black people when black people weren't around? I mean, now you act like you didn't hear it. I was like, I don't get it. You know what people's what white people say about black people when black people aren't around. Now you act surprised. (laughs) Well, that's really unfair. The queen would never say anything like, how do you know? Well, actually, actually, (laughs) Megan says the queen was very nice to her. So I think it's between Prince Charles and William who's who made the comment. Nobody wants to throw the queen under the bus because she's like 96 years (laughs) old. Okay. Megan said that the queen was very nice to her. All right. Well, Megan says so. I think it's either William or uh, Prince Charles who made the comment about the baby. That's my guess. I'm guessing Prince Charles. By the way, what a dumbass comment. Yeah, it is. What a really dumbass comment. Terrible comment. It's like, just make, you know, you want to make sure the child is healthy and happy. Like, who cares what complexion? Well, it just shows that race, colorism is a problem. Yeah, it it could be the brother. You're right, because he probably is jealous 
because he wants to marry me. Here we go. Throw that one out there. He wishes he married. That's a twisted, weird family. Uh, I would say I don't want to be at their Thanksgiving dinners, except they're Brits and they don't have Thanksgiving dinners. <laughs> um, all right, we'll close with Romana's recommendation. And I'm I'm lost right now, Romana. I don't have a show I'm watching. I was uh, I found uh, WandaVision so triggering. Uh, <laughs> I just had to say, I just couldn't stand WandaVision. I watched this show and it's like at the end, I was like. Man, Marvel comics, that's just not for me, you know? And so it's ever since I watched it, now I, I'm like afraid. Am I going to have another you, WandaVision experience? I've yeah, been triggered. You didn't like my show, Alice in Borderland, the recommended show. But try Wayne. I think you'll like Wayne. Right, Wayne, okay. okay. Wayne, you will like. Because you said you like the first 10 minutes of Alice in Borderland, of like these 20 somethings, just kind of. This one's about a teenager. So you, I think you might like this, the okay. teenager. But the lead is Irish. So sorry. Okay. Get over that. He, I'm working on that. He's a, he, okay. he's a great Boston accent. I think he does. I think he does a great job. Um, but I think you'll like Wayne. Try Wayne. Okay. That's what I'm going to recommend to you to try Wayne next. Uh, all right. I'm trying. I'm going to try Wayne. And your uh, review of Coming to America, I'm going to see that tomorrow. Go ahead. I thought it was I thought it was good, um, but I, I don't know if you saw the reviews. I know you don't you don't believe in reviews, but they were kind of mixed. Um, I thought I thought it was good. Um you know, I was so young when the first one came out. I was a teenager, and I do remember. The thing is, it was such a memorable movie. Even though I saw it once, maybe, I, I just remember, you know, you remember the characters, you remember the scenes. So it's definitely made for people who remember the first movie because there's characters and scenes that are going to remind the first movie. You'll get triggered in a good way, I guess. <laughs> whole barbershop scene. Um I thought it was good. It was like, you know, the, all the actors are really great. Um, great. The 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 woman who plays um, Eddie Murphy's oldest daughter is actually a DePaul graduate. She was the one in If Beale Street Could Talk. She does a great job. Um, I think everybody did a good job. Um, I thought it was a fair movie. I thought two and a half stars. Like, it was like, it was funny enough. But would I say this is like the funniest ever? And God, this is like so wonderful I, I i wouldn't say that but you know eddie murphy like I, again he has that whole barbershop scene because doesn't he play like every single character yes in the barbershop so there's a, there's a scene involving that i know a lot of people were um you know the way that you know they t the, the whole thing is is that he finds out like a daughter can't be the heir to the throne and he finds out that he has a son in new york and his son was conceived um via like a drug rape and so I, I know I've seen a lot of uh, chatter on Twitter about people, how they kind of were offended by that. Mm -hmm. So um, I can understand that. I totally can understand that. Um, Leslie Jones is in it. Um, I think she stole a lot of the scenes. But a lot of people thought, I, I also saw a lot of commentary about how they thought that her um, character was stereotypical for like a dark-skinned um black woman so there's comments on that so i'm just reading a lot about it i think you'll find it i think you'll like it you probably loved the first one didn't you yes so and let me just say this i'm going to throw this out and get your response uh and you're going to probably accuse me of being prejudiced yeah. or whatever i'll let it fly i do not trust film critics when it comes to comedies i just i think part of the problem is that film critics see so many movies it just all, every day they're watching a movie and one movie melds into the other. And it's, I just feel as though they can't appreciate a good comedy. And uh, plus a lot of them, 
it's just there's just a gap between what they think is funny uh, and I'm just speaking for myself. What I think is, I'm just thinking of like booty call. I'm thinking of these '90s comedies that I missed because I was raising kids at the time, and then I went back and watched them. I thought they were hilarious. <laughs> uh, I just watched Serial Mom again last weekend, which is a John Waters. It got panned by the critics. And I was like, you know, this. I tell this to my wife all the time. You cannot trust a critic when it comes to a comedy. It's just. They don't get it. They are always ripping Adam Sandler. I love Adam Sandler. <laughs> uh, you know, I love Eddie Murphy. I yeah, just think it's hilarious. I'm I'm a little picky with my comedies because I feel like comedies are very hard to do. They're not. I think I think it's like a really big talent to be a good comedian. And I think Eddie Murphy is a good comedian. But I think comedies for me are like horror movies. Like there's very few horror movies that really scare me. So I kind of feel like with comedies, there are very few comedies that really make me laugh. Um, but I mean, I laugh. I mean, I'm not saying I was totally not laughing at this, but you know, it's like, I, I think it takes a really good comedy to make you laugh. But I think, I think anybody who's an Eddie Murphy fan is going to find, you know, you're going to find it fun. Like even me, I'm like, I, I didn't sit there and watch it and go, God, what a waste. I wasted my time. Yeah. Um, I don't think I didn't, I didn't feel that way. So I think you'll like it. You can let me know what you think. I'll let you know. And you're credibility right now for horror films is at an all time high because of Train to Busan, which I I cannot recommend to people enough. Great, great zombie flick. Maybe the greatest zombie flick of all time. Uh, that could be a debate. I may do a whole show on zombie flicks um, with Sergio Mims. All right, Romana, stay safe and sound. As I told you, I got my first shot yesterday. Uh, a couple weeks, I get my second, and uh, I'm telling you and Mick, when I get these shots, I get. I want you to get your shots as soon as they start giving them to Generation Xers, and then we're going to go to that restaurant on Tui uh, in uh, your beloved Lincolnwood. That Greek I place, so. I forget the name of it, and uh, but we got to be healthy. Yes. Yep. So we have to be healthy. All right, Romana, stay safe and sound. Talk to you next week, all right? Take care, guys. All right. That's the great Ramana Hussein every Friday on the Ben Jarofsky Show, Chicago Sun-Times uh, editor and columnist. Any updates for me, Dennis? None. That's a week of Ben Jarofsky shows, everybody. Remember, you can download previous Ben Jarofsky shows and this weekend's Benny J bonus interviews at ChicagoReader.com and wherever else you download podcasts. Also, you can reach us online at Benny J Show, B-E-N-N-Y, the letter J Show on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. Send us an email if you'd like, Show at gmail.com. Dragonslayer19, I forwarded your email to Ben uh, when we got today's show going. Uh, he's going to give your email a read, and uh, we may read it on the program on Tuesday. Uh, call the Ben Jarofsky Show. It's true. We have a phone number, 708-658-4788. 708-658-4788. Call us. Leave us a voicemail. We would love to hear from you. Also, uh, you can become a Benhead. That's right. You can go to chicagoreader.com slash Jarofsky, J-O-R-A-V as in victory, S-K-Y, and support the Ben Jarofsky Show, a three-tiered system that we have at chicagoreader.com. You can become an Alley member, an Avenue member, or a Boulevard member. For more information, chicagoreader.com forward slash Jarofsky, J-O-R-A-V as in victory, S-K-Y. And also, it's available now, Ben greatest hits book at chicagoreader.com yes Stephen, we saw your email as well we're gonna i think we read steven's email on the show 
But uh, yeah, reach out to us, uh, become a bin head and all that good stuff. I think we're done, Ben. All right. I want to thank Ramon who's saying great job, but she does every Friday. Of course, the man, the myth, the legend, pride of joy at Alton, Illinois, without whom the show would be possible. And as Ramon will tell you back home in Alton, they call him White Lightning. Give yourself a raise. Take it out of petty cash. Have a great weekend, everybody. How did you... How did you... You have to be a good neighbor. How did you... You have to be a good neighbor. How did you... March continues to be a contrast to last month. Average temperatures this week range from the mid-40s in northern Illinois to the mid-50s in southern Illinois, between 5 and 15 degrees above average this time of the year. March to date, temperatures have been between 2 and 10 degrees above average with the largest departures in western Illinois. This has been the fifth warmest start to March on record in Hancock County, for example, and the warmest since 1974. Several places saw high temperatures in the 70s this week, including 74 in Quincy and 73 in Peoria. This is about two weeks ahead of the climatological average first 70-degree day in Peoria. How did you... You have to be a good neighbor. How did you go from sharing stories over the years to deciding to write a book? Good question, Mayor. Good question. 